I remember the day of my departure party, I was speaking with the CEO and he said, I guess you've heard the news. And I said, what news? No, he said, well, we've just passed this regulation internationally that nobody who leaves our company can consult back to it for five years. And I just went, Right. Wow. Because I had organized my whole consultancy to work back for that company. That moment I realized I had no clients, I had no network, I had nothing except a pretty big mortgage and two small kids. So it all changed on the day that I departed. I wondered what I had done. That's the voice of Paul Donovan from The Change Company. He's a fascinating guy. Paul helps high-flying senior executives in big global firms to overcome their roadblocks, clarify their vision, and succeed in the corporate world. Welcome to Getting to the Heart of Business, brought to you by The Online Co., where we believe the best way to help small and medium businesses grow is by putting people first. I'm your host, James Parnwell, and with me is my co-host, Jess Caluso. G'day, Jess. Hey, James. Tell me, Jess, have you ever jumped out of an aeroplane? Have I jumped out of an aeroplane? I have. Right. How'd that go? It was it was a good experience. Probably the most terrifying thing I've ever done. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I haven't jumped out of an aeroplane. So tell me how it felt getting on the plane, climbing up there in the sky. Oh, there's quite a there's quite a funny story. I received the gift, I suppose, of jumping out of a plane for my 21st birthday. Oh, congrats. Yes, lovely. Yeah. So I was young and, and thought that I was brave and fearless. When we got to the, the tarmac, I suppose you call it, getting more and more nervous. And I'm thinking to myself, just let everybody else get on the plane first. Let them, Very polite of you. Yeah, let, yes. let them go on and you just, you just take a moment to breathe. And what I didn't realise by doing that, hopping on the plane last, meant that I had to jump first. Yeah. That's the worst spot to jump, right? Yeah. As you're climbing up, the last few hundred feet that you climb in the plane, they actually open the little roller door. And that means that you've got to sit with your legs and your arms dangling out of the plane for the last couple of hundred feet that we climb. Fantastic. So how'd you feel at that point? Uh, I was a little nervous. (laughs) A little nervous, understatement of the year. (laughs) So I want you to imagine... You jumped out of that plane. Everything was prepared. Your instructor is super experienced. You got a parachute. You got a spare parachute. You're all ready to go. And then as soon as you get out, instructor and the parachute disappears and you're just there by yourself. (laughs) That's essentially what happened to Paul Donovan, our guest today. He decided with a lot of thought and planning that he would go and leave his very successful corporate job and start a consultancy of his own. He had all of his clients set up. And the day he left, he lost them all. Paul is an absolutely riveting guy and he opened up on some really personal moments in this interview. He also shares advice on handling conflict and creating a more safe and honest workplace. You're going to love this interview. Paul, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. It's 1999. Mm. You've got a great job, getting paid well. Mm. What would make you do something as crazy as giving that all up to go and start it on your own it's a big step uh lots of risks you've got kids yeah what was going on at the time i had two little kids they were two and four and i just i saw the men who were a little older than me who had kids a little older I was the leadership development manager in a very successful, wonderful, big Fortune 500 international organization. In fact, we won the Fortune 500, most of my company for seven years in a row. But I noticed that they would get in pretty much in the dark and leave it in the dark. And, And I realized 
I kept looking at this thinking, I cannot do this and be a dad. Not yeah. the way I really wanted to be. My number one motivation in starting my own consultancy was to actually be a dad as well as a worker. And, um, and I've had this feeling that I, if I could just charge more per hour, I could work less hours and it would all be all right. I mean, it was not an inspiring vision, really. I didn't want to conquer the world. Yeah. I, I just wanted to change the way I was living. It was fine until then. Yes. And, and then I thought, it's not okay anymore with me to do this. So, and I remember um, the day of my departure party, I was speaking with the CEO then, and he said, so I guess you've heard the news. And I said, what news? No, he said, well, we've just passed this regulation internationally that nobody who leaves our company can consult back to it for five years. And I just went white. Wow. Because I had organized my whole consultancy to work back for that company. That was, I had contacted all the country managers from each of the Asian countries and they all right. knew me and I was going to be delivering training for them for the next three years. It was done and dusted. There was little or no risk as far as I could tell, except that that moment I realized I had no clients, I had no network, I had nothing except a pretty big mortgage and two small kids. So it all changed on the day that I departed. I didn't know that when I, the day I left until you know an hour before I left the premises. So uh, it, yeah, I wondered what I had done. I wondered what I had done, really. Yeah. <laughs> you jumped out of the boat in a big way, um, yeah, un unintentionally. One of the first things I did is I realized I was really anxious. I went to saw a kind of a he wasn't a therapist, he was actually a hypnotherapist. And I said, look, I've been anxious. I've been anxious since I was a kid, but my anxiety is pretty high now. And now I'm starting a business and I'm in over my head here, really. He did this really cute thing with me. He gave me pens and paper and he said, just create this really expansive, lovely feeling. And I did that and he said, now draw something on this piece of paper. So I drew this thing with some colored crayons and then he just sort of anchored my good feeling to this picture. And that was nice. But why, you know, like, what do you do that for? Like, great, I walked out, didn't feel any differently, but I realized I had a tool in my hand. My office was just in the spare bedroom and we had a built-in wardrobe. And so what I did is I, on one side, I had my list of 12 people that I knew in the world, people that I thought I could follow up with these 12 people. And on the other side, I stuck this picture that when I looked at it, I felt a little bit open and expansive. And then I'd turn and I'd dial them up. And I just ring in those days, we didn't really leave a whole lot of, you know, sort of emails with people. This is 20 years ago now. So you left voice messages. So I would just ring them, leave another voice message and put a little mark next to their name. Some of them I had 12 marks next to them. I'd left 12 phone messages. But I knew that if I rang and I felt anxious, like scared, I was gonna leave a pretty awful voice message. Yeah, so I'd have to open the left-hand door breathe in, create a sense of expansiveness, and I'd leave another upbeat, here to help, whenever you want to call. I don't think I got business from any single person on that list, <laughs> not one. But you know, every now and again, someone would answer, and my whole intention was, if someone's on the phone, I want to add value. I want to help, I want yes. to coach, I want to do something that's helpful. And I noticed the pattern, the more I was able to help people on the phone, just none of them gave me business, then somewhere, somehow, 
I'd be approached to do something. Yes. And that was what I noticed. It was like there was a help someone here. I wonder who's going to come and want my help, who could pay. But it was almost never the same person. So I really feel like you know, family, children, marriage, it's often a big, a big motivation to say, I'm going to control my time and I want to be involved in their life. I really did. I just thought, yeah, I want to be, I want to have a different kind of marriage and I want to be with my kids and I want to, I, and I want to work differently. I yeah. really didn't want to inherit the kind of hours that my dad had done. Everyone I was working with was doing more hours than my dad did. And that's continued. You know, the hours are crazy now. Yeah. yeah. So you had a clear vision, but the clear vision wasn't let's conquer the world. No. Let's make tens of millions of dollars. No. It was I, I just want my family to be happier, safer, healthier. Yeah. And I just had this sense that I was really good at a few things. I was with that company for almost 10 years and I had a number of roles and I realized I was pretty good at a number of them, but actually quite talented at this last role that I had where I was working with people, coaching people, uh, facilitating some meetings. And then I thought, this is something I could leverage. Yes. You know, and I looked around, I thought there's just not that many people who are really good at this thing. Right. I can leverage that. Yeah. So you've identified a niche that you're good at, but something you, you loved as well. Oh yeah, I really about. loved it. Yeah. I love sitting with a group of people and yes. having, creating a space where we had a different kind of, a kind of conversation. Everyone would be surprised at the things that would come out of each other's mouths. Yes. We turned up differently. Then different things would happen after the meeting. People would take different action, create different outcomes. It all happened when people sat and were able to be with each other in a different way and have a different conversation than the ones that they were already having. And I figured I had this knack of being able to sit with a group and somehow allowing that to happen. You're listening to Getting to the Heart of Business. If this episode is helpful for you, feel free to share it uh, and to subscribe and leave a review. Next up, Paul shares with me about what happened when 10 years into his business, he tried to grow a bigger team. And it didn't go as planned. Yeah, I really, you know what? I think it was peer pressure. I'd been in business for 10 years and I started to wonder whether I was any kind of success at all because it was really just me and my bookkeeper and my gorgeous wife who also coaches in the business and who is clever at all sorts of things. And, and I wondered, I kept bumping into these consultants who said, yeah, I've been in business seven years. I have a team of 12 people. And... And I thought, oh, gosh, I should be doing that, I think. And others who are thinking, if I want to make it financially, then I should be reproducing myself. And I did have people who I was giving some work to. So I started to pull us together as a team. I made it look like we were an enormous team. And I put these great photos on the website. We looked like we'd been there forever. And they had worked in the business, but we weren't really a team. But ultimately, I just stopped. I realized that I could create a really profitable business without having to have 10 consultants working for me. And I kept bumping into people who had done it and realized they weren't making any money, more money than they were before. And I realized it wasn't the answer financially to do that. And that was probably one of my main motivations. I could be a solo operator, just get really good at what I do, keep practicing that, and I create a business that is highly profitable. The reason that you left your job in the first place was to be with your family. 
did you see creating an empire as kind of taking you back away from the reason that you'd started back onto on our managing staff mm. I, I'm gonna head back to my old job I think you're right you know I hadn't really made that connection I started to wonder what success was yeah and you yeah, know and I, I really think you're right James and I thought success is having a big team because other people have big other teams. people yeah. have big teams I should be leading a team I just think I was buying into a story on what it would look like if I was a successful consultant and being my independent operator sort of didn't look very shiny at that moment. So, I mean, your family value has shown through there. There's obviously just the financial thing. You look at the books and you go, this doesn't work. Mm. So why, why am I doing this? Yeah. It's taking me away from something I love and it doesn't work financially. Yeah, both, both. Yeah. I realised... If I created that big team around me, I was going to be a business manager, yes. at least part-time. And, you know... Been there, done that. And yeah, I just thought, <laughs> but really, what I like is the craft of what I do. Yeah, gotcha. And I figured that there's ways of leveraging that that are far cleverer than creating a team of people who are all trying to be a little bit like me. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm hearing two values come through, and one of them is obviously family. And the online case, one of our four written values is family. I know that, actually. Yes. I do know and, that. And we've crafted our business, and we have brought on stuff. So we've gone in another route. But the minute it's threatening my family or a team member's family, it's like, hang on. I've done the same thing. You look at the other agencies and how they run, and you go, oh, am I doing it wrong? I even asked some other MDs in, in my competitors, am I doing this wrong? And they're like, is it is it working? Do you... Are you doing good work? Do your team love working for you? And I'm like, well, what's the problem? <laughs> and, and when you align with your values, you're fulfilled and I think great work comes out of that. Yes. But the other value I feel like I've picked up there was around help. You were just looking for opportunities to help. Mm. And it's there's a generosity of spirit that I think you pick up from some people that are saying, I'm not just in this for myself. I'm not just trying to haggle the next deal. I'd actually like to help you. And help first, and then sales tend to come second. They tend to come as a yep. as a byproduct. You, you've obviously seen that. I have. And That's from exactly that, my experience. making phone calls to people that you didn't do business with and just helping them mm. for the sake of it led to, to business. Yeah. What's your observations around, you know, help or yeah. generosity as a... I think... The best business for me has been when it's been rather more kind of identity driven rather than goal driven. So my identity is to be a helper. Yes. I want to help. It doesn't sound that sexy, frankly, but that's it really. And that's always been the thing which has energized me to do the work. And it's been now 20 years and it's a long time to keep doing it. Yeah. But there's something that happens in me when I realise there's something I'm doing here which is really helping. Yeah, making a difference. And it's making a difference. It's it's deeply energising. I'd like to ask about your management of anxiety because every business person <laughs> suffers anxiety. Some people are more prone to it, I think, yeah. biologically than others. But even those that aren't are like, oh, man... You know, the bottom's fallen out of my world. Something's gone wrong. And even with COVID, things like this, out of your control. Yeah. You found a method there with the picture and the names of handling anxiety. Yeah. I wonder if you've got any thoughts to people that are listening who are in the middle of something 
that's hurting. Most business people will lose sleep at some point in their career, uh, more often than they'd care to admit. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I can only speak about anxiety if I first acknowledge that I'm someone who has suffered from a lot of anxiety in my life. And I think, um, you know, I recently read a book, I think his name is David Cross, psychiatrist who wrote a book just called Anxiety. And he is a guy who suffered from it. I think I self-diagnose myself as someone who has generalized anxiety disorder. So um, I have been very anxious in my life, chronically anxious. Now, sometimes it gets really high as a peak, but I realize yes. um, that the anxiety is, is something I've had to manage all my life. There are some things I'm doing to manage it, but I don't think I'm the most successful person at it. One of the things I suffer is migraines, but I look at my life and I notice that what I'm managing now in my life, there'd be no hope of managing that 10 years ago. Yeah. So my the anxiety, capacity. my capacity to manage complexity is just, yeah. is multiplied. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. My levels of anxiety, I manage them as I go along. Sometimes I think they might be dropping a little bit. Sometimes I might be going up, but I know what I'm managing now is a multiple of yeah, what I, I managed 10 years ago. Yeah. You, and, you get stronger, don't you? And I'm really much stronger. Yeah. I meditate. Yeah. I meditate. That's been very helpful. Um, I have a really good marriage. Yes. And I can't tell you what that means to me. I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's extraordinary. And I have a, and I'm married to Maggie who rings a bell. You see, in my marriage, I'm reminded to have holidays. Yeah. I'm reminded to have breaks. I'm reminded to stop work on weekends. I'm reminded, you know, let's not talk about work anymore. It's yeah. really helpful really helpful. So I've got this voice that just keeps backing me down off the things which can wind me up. There's been periods of time in my life where we'll go to bed at night and she'll rest her head on my chest and she'll say, your heart is racing. Yeah. And that's when I realise, yeah, it's been like that all day. Right. It's been like that all day. And I'm going to bed and it's still racing. I wake up early to start work, you know, at 5 or 5.30 to get some things done. And it's like, right, I'm on, <laughs> you know, so, but I can say that in regard to anxiety, I don't expect that I'm ever going to be completely rid of it anymore. Sure. But I do have more tools. And is, is Maggie quite different to you emotionally? Would her yes. emotional make, okay, so she, so she really sort of sits she, on the opposite just, side of the seesaw? Yeah. Balances you out? she knows what anxiety is, but she is not as biologically orientated to feeling right. anxious. Yeah, so April's the same. She's just really different to me. So yeah. I can be up and down and she'll Yeah. She'll pull me out of the out of the holes that I'm in from time to time. Absolutely. That's Maggie. That's Maggie yeah. for me. Maggie also was and is a trained naturopath, so she can say, you know what? I, I don't drink a lot, but she'll say, if you're feeling anxious, don't have that glass of wine. Yeah. You know, or don't have a second glass, maybe, is what she'd more likely say. Yeah. You know, or here's some food that would help. You know, like right. what I notice when I finish the workshop and the drop down, I just want to have cakes. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Load up on sugar. Yeah. And sometimes it's, and I'm working all day and I'll get to five and everyone's left the room and the afternoon tea's still left, you know. It's all the corporate <laughs> gigs have cakes and, and I've just, I'll go up and inhale a couple of croissants, you know what I mean? And I realise, what's going on here, you know? And I've learned a lot about noticing those patterns. It's, I'm sugar depleted, I haven't eaten enough during the day. Well, I've learned these mostly from Maggie. Yeah, you're yeah, managing your 
physical animal, so to speak, is a big part of managing your yeah. your mind. Oh, I know how to look after myself. I exercise regularly. Yeah. I walk a lot. I meditate. I have supplements. You know, I, yeah. I, if I wasn't doing all those things, there's no way my business would be working well. Absolutely. No way in the world. Yeah. 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 I'd love to ask some questions about your training, your self-development, how you invest in yourself. Mm. You've obviously yep. come a long way in the last 21 years. Yeah. Can you expand on your PhD sure. and the different things you've done in the time? Yes, the trainings have been a different kind. Certainly I did complete a PhD and that was, you know, in the midst of a busy consultancy. I think I started when our baby was, you know, four months old. So it was complex doing that. So it took me eight years. And most of it was done between 5 and 8 a.m. in the morning. It was a really tough gig. Yeah. But I loved it. And there's practices now that I have that I didn't have before I did that doctorate. But I also do, James, other sorts of things like uh, workshops, you know, like meditation workshops. They're really helpful. Yeah. You know, I've been on a... What's that Tony Robbins one? Uh, uh, Des- Date with Destiny. I yeah. did Date with Destiny. I know he's a polarized figure and not everyone likes him and some hate him. But the Date with Destiny program was just a great exercise in five days of self-imposed therapy, really. Yeah. That's what it was. And um, it was really helpful. And, you know, wacky stuff with process work because I do a lot of training with process work, which is quite an advanced, pro- and, you know, for 20 years I've been going to workshops all over the world attending how to be in groups that are freaking out and in conflict. Yes. And the other thing I do is I read. Great. Books have changed my life. Yeah. I can point to probably 12 books and say they have each changed how I live and work with people professionally and personally. They all have represented pivots points in my life and I love that. You're listening to Getting to the Heart of Business. If you want to know more about those 12 books that Paul mentioned, check out the show notes at theonlineco.net slash podcast. And if you haven't already, go on Facebook and join our Getting to the Heart of Business podcast group, where we'll chat about topics on the show and share more helpful tips for running a business. Up next, Paul shares a story about an event he spoke at that turned into a complete train wreck for him, but how he used that experience to grow as a person and as a business. I remember um, one, I can feel it sort of even as I, as I think about it now. I was keen to get accredited in this facilitation skills program from a very, very well-known and professional facilitator. His name is Michael Wilkinson, who is just a terrific guy. And he came across to this here in Australia. He had a client who was working with AMP. And there was 30 people in the room. I was going to get accredited in his system. So it meant that I had to come and train it with him. I realized I'd been working Monday to Friday with groups for two and a half weeks before that. So then Monday morning I turned up, I tried to do some homework on his program. (laughs) You know, I'd met with Michael for a couple of hours. You know, there was 120 slides or something. And then I walked into the room and I was the co-presenter. And uh, truthfully, I barely knew which slide was coming up next. In fact, I didn't often know which (laughs) slide was coming up next when it was my time to stand up. And it was just death by a thousand cuts over a two-day period while I just stood up and muddled my way through material that I didn't really know. And then at the end, getting feedback that the group didn't really buy me. 
they didn't really consider me to be very good. And I had not got that feedback before and that was devastating. Yeah. I, it was devastating. I remember coming home that night and I sat on the couch and I had my little kids either side of me and I sat and I literally, I just cried. I had tears coming down my face. And it was the most beautiful moment. Maggie got this bucket of warm water and I just took my shoes and socks off and I put my thing in and I just sat there and I had tears down my face. I felt like a complete failure. Yeah. And um, and my kids just sat beside me and squeezed my arms. And, you know, in retrospect, it was a very sweet moment. Yeah. It really, but um, it was so painful to crash and burn so publicly in front of a group like that. It was painful. So after that's all happened, you're suffering, your family's come around you, they've cared for you. Mm. How did you claw back out of that? And what did you learn from that? Did you become stronger or bigger or better on the back of that? Yeah, I really did. You know, what I learned is that it sounds so obvious, but it changed my whole consulting practice. Um, I learned that preparation was pretty important and making time for it was really, really important. In fact, the longer I've gone in my career as a consultant, the more preparation I do. Actually, not the less. I do more than I used to. Yes. But I also valued it enough to charge clients for it. Right. So I reckon I put on probably 25% on my top line over a period of a year when I started to consistently acknowledge I needed to prepare and charge clients for my preparation. I was fatally ill-prepared for that workshop. Yes. And I really thought because I was so skilled as a facilitator, I'd just pull it off. Yeah. Um, I just believe my own bullshit. It, it wasn't true. I, I have learned that preparation is important. I still prepare. It means I can be more fluid in the room. It doesn't make me more regimented. No. I'm way more fluid. I'm happy yeah, to change yeah, cross things. things better. Yeah. Cross things better. I charge for it. Where I wasn't so comfortable increasing my daily rate, I was more comfortable increasing what I charge people to prepare. And I multiplied that by a factor of three or four. Yeah. Over a period of six to 12 months. I think it's a really important truth that when things go wrong and you're hurting the most and you're suffering the most, you're usually growing the most, learning the most. Mm. That's been my experience. Yeah, yeah. And I think it might have to do with the fact that just keeping doing things the way I'm doing it is easy until the pain of staying the same is, is greater than the pain of changing. Yeah. And then I was like, well, I, I need to change. And, and what you're describing is a fundamental or paradigm shift around the way you did things yeah. and it led to more revenue but it, it led to better outcomes yeah. and coming back to this value of helping people you now help people better oh yeah the whole circle your whole business lift lifted yeah. as a result yes it really did it really did lift it was a pivot point i didn't really know it at the time but it's easy to see looking back easy in to the see middle that. of it it's miserable yeah but i've found that if i if i can get my head out of my misery <laughs> into yeah something's happening here not yeah. sure what it is yeah but i'm going to we're going to be much better because of this yeah. my suffering isn't just a waste of time my suffering yeah. is taking me taking me forward absolutely i find that hugely helpful dealing with my own anxiety yeah yeah and that'll often be the little thing that'll tip me out of it yeah oh, yep i've yeah. got that bump that little bump that's <laughs> Some, right sometimes 
you know, just to be able to step back and see the phase that yes. it is rather than being closed by it. The language of what's this phase, what's this season that I'm in yes. puts context on the pain and by nature of that steps us back a little yeah. from it. It's not in our faces anymore. Better so we're not, we're not contracting in front of it. We're not getting harder. We can step back from it, soften, learn, heal and grow. Wonderful. Mm. It feels odd to me, but I had this kind of experience at the end of most full day workshops when I'm sitting with the team and I get us in a circle and they've either generated their strategy, they've developed this way forward that they feel so hopeful about, that they, that they feel excited about, or they've come together as a team or we've been doing leadership development work or we've dealt with conflict. Gosh, I can remember working with one team where the leader of the organization, the whole organization is a thousand people, but he was in such profound conflict with one of the team members in this small team of six who led the whole organization. They were really in deep conflict. And this leader, I loved him. He was a really wonderful guy. I won't say the organization, but he was a really, really good man, but he was in such profound conflict. And then I was able to while the rest of their short, their small team sat and watched, support this leader and this man to connect and talk about the pain they felt in this relationship. Wow. It was a turning point. It didn't mean it all got better right away, but I know that leader would tell me that was a turning point for him. I mean, he made significant shifts in that whole organization when he realized and when the nature of that conflict was was spoken about and what i was amazed at was the rest of the team they were more appreciative than even the two because they'd yeah. suffered in Incredible. the context of this profound conflict between the leader and one other of the team members and the rest of the team had suffered terribly because of it and i can remember sitting at the end of the day when they just said thank you this is the meeting we've been waiting to have for a long time and yeah, uh, it was a wonderful, you know, I was going to, I would be great if I could tell you a time when I was standing in front of 10,000 people, you know, looking heroic, but it was only eight of us in the room. And the eight people just said to me, this is so helpful. This has changed things and thank you. Yeah, it's wonderful. And that's what I, that's a moment. That was a moment. I have this feeling with business that it's a bit like a never-ending staircase. There's always more. You can grow more. And, yeah. But it, it, after every eight steps is a landing. Yeah. And I feel like if I, if I can celebrate each landing, then I feel yeah. that I've achieved something and I'm never that, that never-ending longing goes away for a little bit before I start the next eight steps. Yeah. I think that's really good, James. I think it's... Really true. This is something Maggie has um, keeps reminding me to do is, and I'm getting better at it now, is to celebrate the landings. Yeah. Is to stop April's and go, look James. at this. Look at this, what we, where <laughs> we are here, you know. <clears throat> we paid off our house. Yeah. I, I was so quick to go on to, yes, but we have to, you know, and she just, yeah, has this ability I, to I'm terrible. Me. April will go, we just set a goal for two years. You've achieved it. And now you're talking about the next two years? Just enjoy it for five minutes. <laughs> that's what I do. You know, that's what I do. I don't know. And it's so refreshing really to do it. 
if yeah. you one real if you really let myself down and I just listen when Maggie says, look at this, look at where we're at, look at what we've got, you know, and where we are and what we've created together because we're in it all together. Everything we're doing, we're in it together. So I'm very thankful to her for that. Absolutely. So so your story about seeing a resolution of conflict is is a really wonderful mountaintop. Again, yeah. maybe, maybe we're comparing ourselves with with somebody else's mountaintop, and whereas our yeah. mountaintop something our, our wonderful mountaintop might be own. quite different. Yeah. Absolutely, you know, it's a, it's really true. I've had many groups, many yeah. experiences, a little like that. That's one that comes to mind. So I'd love to tease that out a little because there'll be people listening who are in a group in conflict. What did you do in that situation that was so healing? Well, the first thing I did is the most difficult thing is I slowed it all down. Everything must slow down. And that's the most terrifying thing to do in the world at that moment, when everyone in the room wants it to speed up and <clears throat> navigate around it and, and move on because we all feel kind of frightened and we don't quite know if this is gonna get out of hand. Yeah. It's gonna get more than we can manage. And especially in a business setting, it, most of us have fears around this will become more than we can manage now. Right. And, and, what, and lose emotional control? And people will lose emotional yeah. control and, um, and, and say things we regret or become someone that is no longer the person that I've been trying to present myself to be. Yeah. I'm going to break things somewhere. forever. Yeah. yeah. And so I, my first thing is to slow us down. I just say something happened. I noticed there was a pause or I noticed there was a lot of laughter when that was said. Can we just pause? I'm wondering right. what was happening there. there was See, it's what we call yeah. a hot spot, yeah. right? And you can have an awkward pause or you can have a nervous laughter or someone just say something very charged. It's a hot spot in the room. My job in my training from Max Schubach and Arnie Mindell and Julie Diamond and Stephen Schuderwerder, all process workers, teach me to slow it down and learn that I'm not going to die when I do it mm. right? and no one else is going to die. Then, and I don't know where we're going to go from there. I'm following the crumbs. Yeah. And I say, so I'm wondering what happened. I have this deep sense of respect for the intelligence of the collective. Yes. And, uh, and I'm looking for signals to follow. And then when someone will lean back and throw their arms behind their heads and go, oh, I don't know. And I go, I've noticed you've leaned back and is there something you also wanted to say? I'm just watch, just noticing the crumbs and watching the crumbs. And then I notice that there's a voice that's wanting to be said that is hard to say. Okay. That's the essence of it, James. And then I'll get a sense of it and sometimes I will occupy that voice. Okay. So sometimes I'll do it with the chairs and I'll put another chair here and I'll say, uh, and it might be about a particular issue or about a particular person in the room. And then I will sit in a different chair and then I will voice what most people are afraid to say. Um, but I do it in a way that's honoring. I don't slam people down, no. but I find the essence of what that voice is. And then I'll honor the other voices. Usually you can think of as a mainstream voice and uh, mainstream and marginalized. And so most groups are looking to go down the mainstream 
we should keep going or this strategy is great or our boss is excellent. And then there's the marginalized voice and my job is to support the marginalized voice to be heard. Yeah. Then we can hold both voices, honoring both and see what wisdom emerges when we hear both. But that can only ever happen if we slow down first. And then notice what's being trying to be said that can't be said yet. I mean, that was my whole doctorate, doctorate on undiscussables. Wow. That's what undiscussable topics are, topics which are too threatening to raise or talk about. And so I looked at groups over many years, looking at what happens when undiscussable topics are avoided or talked about. Okay. And by discussing the undiscussables, you, you reach a new level of relationship and respect amongst the group? Oh, that's the biggest surprise is that people feel extraordinarily connected and bonded in the context of conflict. Right. That's where relationship is built, James. Yes, in conflict. In conflict. Yeah. Um, because I'm now safe yeah. with you to go to the places that That's I right. wasn't sure if I'd be safe or not. Yeah. So, you know, this is what you and I have discovered in our marriages. We've, you know, like... Uh, uh, we've had more conflict with our wives than probably anyone in the world. Yeah. But there's nobody we feel safer with. Exactly. But we learn how to navigate conflict without being too bruising, if we can. Yeah. And there's kindness and respect. Yeah. And and then there's ignoring it completely. <laughs> that's yeah, another that's, thing. That's right? a whole other thing. <laughs> that's a whole other thing. So what we do get is people feel surprisingly connected. And the second thing we get is insight. Okay. insight that leads to action or new approaches or new strategies. Right. Energy is released when those two voices have better relationship with each other. Got it. That's quantum physics actually, but that's what <laughs> happens. All energy is created out of relationship and when those two voices have a better relationship with one another, energy is created. Right, so then it benefits the business. Oh, enormously. But it lowers the stress. It makes the happier, yeah, a happier place, a more joyful place. That's the irony of of psychological safety. The psychological safe workplaces are not the cozy. We all just love each other and yes. give each other hugs at the end of meetings. Psychologically safe workplaces are the bravest, most challenging workplaces to be in. Things are raised there that are not raised elsewhere. Something deeper. We're just willing to give more voice to the parts of ourselves that we might not give voice to, and therefore more transparency. Most people who I work with don't walk into a meeting trying to be non-transparent. In fact, some version of openness or transparency is in most of their value statements. Yes. But the difficulty is, when it comes down to it, it's a very courageous thing to give voice to some parts of ourselves. That's where I think consultancies can be so helpful. We do not break through all on our own on this. We need help. Yes. We need help. We need help at certain times in our lives. You know, to You're the outside voice that sees the hot spot, whereas perhaps they've conditioned themselves not even to see the hot spot anymore. They're Absolutely. Just, just navigating around. They've it. conditioned themselves not to see the hot spot. And what, in fact, they see it, but they marginalize the hot spot so as to take it to their edge of their awareness yep. and then just keep going. Yep. And that's the way we do our meetings. I was speaking to a guy yesterday who called me up and said, I just looked at your website and I think you might be able to help us. 
I th- it's something's wrong with our senior team. You know, he was the managing partner. And then he said, but I couldn't get over your website when you talked about undiscussables. He said, oh my gosh, I think <laughs> we have an executive team with lots of undiscussables. Yeah, but we're work. so nice with one another, he said. And um, yeah, and he said, I just listened to your podcast on psychological safety, you know, and uh, that was interesting. And that's when I thought, yeah, it was great to put that podcast. And I thought, thank you, the online company. <laughs> you helped me put that up. I talk to business owners every day about their marketing and the consistent feedback is that they feel lost in the digital marketing world. Usually they've got someone to have a go at some SEO, Google ads or social media, but they often don't know what work is even being done and they can't see any results. This is where our team and I can help with our digital marketing playbook. Over the past 10 years, we've designed a process to help you achieve your business goals by speaking to the right people at the right time with the right message. We analyze your competitors, create the unique voice you should use in the marketplace, map out your customer's path to purchase, and then create expert search, social media, and nurture strategies to attract the right people to your business. This is all underpinned by our belief that the best digital marketing puts people first. If you need help to get your marketing on the straight and narrow, why not drop us a line at theonlineco.net. You can have a quick chat to one of our team to see how we can best support you in growing your business. You're listening to Getting to the Heart of Business. Before I wrapped up my chat with Paul Donovan, I asked if he could leave us with one piece of advice for people who are thinking of leaving the nine to five to pursue a business dream. I came across something just a few weeks ago, which I thought captured a truth. It was three concentric circles. And it talked about how to create change. And someone who wants to step away from their nine to five job wants to create change big time. Yeah, big. They want to create change big time. So here's what I'd say. Change led from the inside circle is better than change led from the outside circle. The inside circle is your identity. It's the who you want to be. So think most about change that is driven from who you want to be in this business. The next circle out is the practices that you put in place to support it. And the next circle out are the goals you have. I want to turn over a million dollars a year. I want to have 25 loyal, consistent clients, whatever it might be. Do not try and change from just thinking, I want 25 clients. Yeah. Change from the outside in isn't nearly as effective as change from the inside out. Yeah. So do a lot of work on the inside circle, then think about the practices and let the outside circle look after itself more. That was a book um, called Atomic Habits. Oh, James yeah. Clear, just really it's great. Wonderful. He pulls together stuff that's, I know I've read elsewhere, but he's pulled it all together in yeah. the context of changing your life one micro action at a time. Yeah, can't recommend it highly enough. Yeah, so I really like that book and that's the recommendation I do. When, when the person who starts their business is thinking, I've just got to go out and do another door knock or I've just got to send another set of emails to people, sure, that's good. If you're going to do that, also sit down and write in your journal, who am I in this business? Get a journal and start writing that stuff down and know that that's at least as powerful as sending another hundred emails to lukewarm or cold clients. (laughs) Yeah. That's terrific advice, Paul. Well, thank you so much for your transparency, your honesty, your wisdom. 
in uh, sharing all of your journey. I really believe this will help a lot of business people who are looking to get started, like you were doing 21 years ago, through to people that have got large businesses with teams that, that just needed to hear your advice on how to manage yeah. the undiscussables in the groups they have. So thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It's a pleasure. Wish you well. That was Paul Donovan from The Change Company. You can find out more about his work at thechangecompany.com.au. Jess, what a terrific guy he is. Oh, that's fantastic. I just think, you know, his intention of just adding value, his yeah. intention. He's such a terrific guy. We've worked with him as a client for some years now. The team members practically queue up to work with him. Oh, bet. <laughs> yeah, he's just terrific. So open. I just appreciated his generosity of spirit. Mm. Uh, his willingness to go to awkward and difficult places and to tell us painful stories. Uh, he didn't need to do that, but he, he did. And I really feel like I learned the most uh, from, his, from his stories that were difficult. Mm. And they're just so inspiring. They are. As a business owner, to hear other business owners that are uh, able to be so vulnerable yeah. and share such personal stories, you really feel like somebody else is in your corner. You know, somebody right. else is going through it with you. You're not alone. That's it. If you were to take one thing from that interview and you were to apply it, what would that be? The the key thing that stuck out for me, James, was Paul's focus on preparation. Yeah. And the importance of that. I think, you know, for him to crash and burn so publicly mm. and then looking and reflecting on it and thinking, okay, what have I learned from this? And it's that preparation is key yes that for me was a point that stuck out so much and I think that's definitely something that I'm going to apply I've heard it said that everybody learns from their own mistakes but a wise person will learn from somebody else's (laughs) mistakes so I think that's why Paul was so vulnerable so that we can learn uh, from his mistake there I think the thing that I will take away is just that group dynamic that he talked about how there's undiscussables and there's things going on in groups, uh, little wrinkles that just pop along and we tend to avoid them. I think I just need to be more conscious of what's going on in group meetings and the dynamics there and how we can make them much more psychologically safe, as he said, by bringing things to the fore and discussing them. I really hope people listening uh, just are really encouraged, educated and emboldened to go and do some of the scary things that he did and to, to approach their business in a new way based on what he taught us. Next week, we have the unstoppable Amanda Little. She's a lawyer with degrees in both law and advertising, and she heads up a thriving law firm in Western Sydney called Amanda Little and Associates. She's won awards for her work, and she's a highly creative thinker. What's more, she's an awful lot of fun. I think you're going to love it. This episode of Getting to the Heart of Business was brought to you by The Online Co. You can find us at theonlineco.net. Produced by Claire Bruce, music by Harry Parnwell. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with someone else who needs to hear it. And if you haven't already, leave us a review.